What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we are talking about securitizing art and investing in fine art and sort of democratizing that whole world. Um, and we have the founder of Masterworks on the line, Scott Lynn, uh, which is a platform that is almost creating like a stock market for art investments. So this is going to be a really epic conversation. Uh, Scott, welcome to HyperChange. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, so maybe before we get into uh, exactly what you're building, what you're doing, could you give us a little overview of, of the art investment landscape and sort of how this turned into a painting on the wall now to something looked at that's sort of in the same class as real estate, stocks, art? So when you when you think about the art market today, the art market is roughly a $68 billion market in terms of turnover. Uh, Deloitte has estimated the size of the asset class at $1.7 trillion dollars. Um, so, you, you know, the world that I, that I think you come from and a lot of your, your viewers come from is, is venture private equity, right? So it's roughly half the size um, of venture private equity, but Masterworks is the first company ever to securitize a painting. And I think that's such an interesting analogy because in venture and private equity, you really have 6,000 firms, best estimates, uh, helping institutions and individuals allocate to that asset class. But there's, there's really not any way to allocate to art outside of buying a multi-million dollar painting. So when we think about the opportunity for Masterworks, we really think about how do we take this really big asset class that's never been securitized, uh, securitize it for the first time, and then allow people to buy shares and in individual paintings um, that historically have, have outperformed the stock market um, and through a, a lot of the research that we've done are uncorrelated to, to, most, to most other asset classes. Wow. And I love this concept at a high level. And I'm really curious if you could tell us like your personal story, like were you an art collector? And then what was yeah. your aha moment of trying to create this whole, you know, exchange? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I've been started, I've been starting tech companies for, you know, 20 years almost now. And, um, and I got into art at a really young age. Um, really when I, when I started my first company, so it was, you know, kind of like 17, 18, 19, I think I bought my first Good painting, great painting, depending on how you find it. When I when I was nineteen, uh, by this artist named Mark Chagall. I'm not sure why I did that. This looking back, but I did. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, the art world was very different in the late '90s than it is today. And and the reason it was different, and this this is stating the obvious, lots of things, but um, was because of the internet. So the internet was the the um, way that a lot of people that didn't know how to access information on the art market were able to for the first time. There's this company called Artnet that started publishing public auction data of art sales um, dating back almost a century. And that's crazy because a lot of people don't, don't realize the art market is, is centuries old, right? Like Sotheby's um, that was publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange just recently went private at 275 years old. So the, you know, the, the, these, these, the, the main kind of players in the art market have literally been doing this, this for centuries, which is mind blowing. And half of the art market trades at public auction. So you have this really big data set that you can use to analyze how has art performed over time. Um, but up until uh, Artnet, there, there wasn't an easy way for the average person to access that. So I think when you think about the art market post 2000 and that, that data being readily available, um, the art market has, has seen a lot more people come into it that are looking at it strictly from an investment perspective, uh, which obviously is what we do at Masterworks. But you, you can't really do that without the data. Could you break us down how Masterworks, you know, the whole platform and process works? Because what you're doing is so cool, this idea of, you know, a painting that we all know by Banksy, like that Mona Lisa that you had on your platform, uh, that we've all heard of Banksy, like we all love his stuff, but we don't have $5 million to buy that painting or even more probably. So 
you know, th this, how do you actually go to, about securitizing that and, and uh, kind of walk us through the steps on the platform? Yeah, totally. So it's very similar to how a company goes public. So very similar to how, you know, Tesla goes public. Um, you know, we, we file an, an offering circular with the SEC uh, for a single painting that's qualified by the SEC. And then we sell shares to, to retail and accredited investors. Um, it was, it was a pretty, you know, it sounds simple on the surface, but I, you know, I can tell you the very first offering they filed with the SEC, I don't even know now, two and a half years ago, I think, um, it was not simple, right? <laughs> right. I think that went through 12 or 13 rounds of commenting, took them 15 months to qualify it. It was a pretty, it was a pretty, uh, interesting financial product at that time because you have one asset sitting in a vehicle that doesn't produce cash flow, and is public. Um, so at that point, you know, I, I think they, there, there were lots of questions that lots of people had. Um, now, after we've done, you know, we're doing one offering every seven to 10 days and we're, we're getting them through uh, the SEC like clockwork. So that, that concern is gone. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely, it was definitely revolutionary at the time. Wow. And so when investors invest in, in the paintings, I know they all started like $20 per share. Um, can you talk to us about how frequently the liquidity happens and, and sort of like what happens if you're an investor in that share? Yeah, so there's, there's two ways that investors get liquidity when investing in, in, um, in a painting through us. One is that we sell the painting and we tell investors to assume that it's going to take us three to seven years to sell a painting, um, sometimes as many as 10 years. So this is, this is traditionally an illiquid asset class that takes time to really generate returns. Um, but we have launched now secondary markets for these securities where investors are now trading securities before the painting sells with each other, which is a great way to get interim liquidity if you, if you don't want to wait until the painting sells. So just like people trade stocks and companies, they're now, now trading shares and paintings. Wow. So once you do the initial public offering, you get all that capital, but you're also facilitating the secondary uh, market. Fascinating. And can you fill us in a little bit about the traction you've seen? Like how many paintings have you offered? How many, much money's on the platform? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're raising, uh, you know, we're, it's growing quickly. We're raising, I don't know, $150 million plus a year. Um, we're doing an offering every seven to 10 days, which is a one to $10 million painting. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of focused right now on just ramping up all parts of the business. So we're buying paintings as fast as we can. We're onboarding as investors as fast as we can. We're buying as much marketing as fast as we can. Um, so it, it, you know, it's really, it's really, uh, it's really been great traction. We just passed a hundred thousand investors on the platform, uh, last week. So, that's a big milestone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think most investors look at this asset class and they think, particularly in today's world where we have kind of the Corona dynamic, people feel like public equities are overvalued. You know, a lot of us feel like we're living in two different economies, um, kind of the real world with unemployment and, and the public equity markets. Uh, fixed income obviously isn't compelling. People are concerned about inflation with the, with, you know, the amount of, of money that the Fed is printing. And they don't really know where to put money. And you, you look at the art market and it is one of the oldest asset classes. Contemporary art historically has performed at around 13% a year since 2000. Um, we did the first research study with Citigroup in 2018 to show that art was a, an uncorrelated asset class. Um, I think the highest correlation factor was 0.3 and that was with real estate. Um, so it's this really interesting asset class that we believe has a role in any portfolio, but you know, historically there wasn't, there wasn't a good way to invest in it. 
So I, I would play devil's advocate here. As an art collector myself, I don't even really buy this argument, but I'm curious of the intrinsic value of art. Like people often ask yeah. me, I'm a Bitcoin bull. Like what's the intrinsic value? I have a whole thesis there, but you know, how, why is why is this one piece of painting worth, worth millions? And then I know eventually we're going to hit the first billion dollar painting. So this isn't stopping. This is just eventually yeah. the first trillion dollar painting or whatever. But uh, like, how do you think about the intrinsic value of art? Because I always thought of it as like capturing culture in a moment in time. And to me, yeah. culture, and so I'm an investor in, you know, the flamethrowers that Elon Musk puts out. Like I have those in storage, about eight short shorts. <laughs> uh, I love sneaker collecting. Like I, to me, I also look at those kind of products of yeah, culture yeah, yeah. as art as well. So I'm kind of curious how you like this whole collectible art world, where's the intrinsic value there? Look, I don't think things that, that have value have to have only intrinsic value. And let's, let's use like a good analogy, right? So if we, you know, if you and I buy a house, whatever, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, right? We buy a house in Kansas City and it's $100,000. The intrinsic value of that house arguably is the same as a beachfront mansion that's $20 million, right? Like it has the same practical purpose, um, but one is $19.9 million more expensive. Um, I, look, I think there's lots of things. Gold is another example. If, if people collectively believe that something has value, Bitcoin's another example then it has value. And I think the, the thing that we've seen with art for literally centuries is that if something has cultural significance, people believe it has value. Um, and that, that's caused prices to go up over time for, for many of these artists. Yeah, and I think what you're doing, to me, the art world has almost been like its hand be tied behind its back where everybody can trade equities, but nobody can even trade art. Yet, like you said, it's half as big as VC already. So I almost am like, wow, if I was an art investor, now is a really good time I mean, that's why I'm investing in the flamethrowers and all this stuff, because I see the securitization of all this next level of assets. And to me, that's going to uh, basically create a tidal wave of liquidity to the art market, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's, I, I tell people this all the time, and I, I don't think people totally, totally understand it. Like, I, you know, my background is, is, is kind of tech and finance, right? Like, I'm, I've been spending the last 20 years with the smartest people that I know around the world solving really hard problems. <laughs> the art market, it, it's not that there's not smart people in the art market. There's obviously smart people in the art market, but it's just not... It's not sophisticated, right? Like we have the only research team that analyzes returns in the art market. Like that in itself is mind blowing to think about a $1.7 trillion asset class and there's one research team that analyzes returns, right? We were the first company ever to publish a correlation study between art and other asset classes. That's mind blowing. Um, if, you, if you go to collectors and say, hey, you know, I see you're buying this Jackson Pollock, how much does his market appreciate? Nobody can answer that question. So it's, it's just fascinating to me that, that there's so much money in the art market and the people that are participating in the art market are very sophisticated, right? Like most collectors that have $100 million collections are very smart, very capable people that are top of industry for, for whatever they do. Um, but historically, there, there just hasn't been the level of sophistication that other, other industries have had. So I think from our perspective, that's really interesting, right? Like that, that's a huge opportunity to find alpha in an asset class that that's kind of just waiting for it. Yeah, it's, it's honestly mind boggling that there isn't a data team. And like, I've always thought, uh, like one of the ways I found Tesla stock was analyzing social media data, like way back in the early days, like their increase in likes, their engagement per post, despite the fact they're spending no advertising money on these platforms is 50X every other car company. And it's like, wow, it's, it's very clear which brand consumers love. And this is in 2013. So I've always thought that like, if you could, 
put a quantitative social media analysis of like social blade data, like which artist IG account is racking up followers whose posts are good. Like there's yeah. a trove of data. I don't even know if I'm giving out too much secret sauce. Like I, I'm like, this is to me a trove of data. And so I'm curious of how you select uh, paintings. Is it just this historical returns? Cause I wouldn't be looking at that. I would be scouring, you know, YouTube channels, Instagrams for, for who's kind of bubbling up. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very hard question. So I would say that today, and this, this, this is going to be a little underwhelming to you, we are primarily focused on momentum indicators, right? So we are primary fo primarily focused on understanding which artists are appreciating the fastest and using that to, to predict future returns. Um, the reason we're doing that is because nobody in the art market is even doing that, <laughs> right? So in, in every other asset class, you already have people that are like, oh, momentum is not, not that interesting of a metric to look at. Um, but we, we do look at that. Now, we are looking at other things that we define broadly as cultural significance indicators. For example, what institutions collect which artists, what dealers represent which artists, which artists are shown in other shows with other important artists. Um, so there are sort of these, these cult cultural significance um, metrics that, that matter in the art world. Um, so we're using, we're using more and more of those. But, you know, right now, I mean, we we're buying one to 2% of what we look at. Our acquisitions team is tracking, I think 1400 paintings by 40 to 50 artists right now that we're really interested in. You know, every offering that we bring to the platform, we think is a really good offering. I mean, wow. We, so it's, it's curated. It's not just like submit. It's like you're, you're backing yeah, up yeah, with yeah. sort of your stamp of approval on this. It's very definitely high quality. Curated, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. I mean, there's so much art out there where we, we just need to be very selective about, about what we're buying. Um, so yeah, so our, the, you know, our investment process is basically our research team has this huge proprietary database, which is available to all of our investors to search through um, on individual returns for individual paintings. So if you go to masterworks.io and you click on price database, there's this section of the website where you can search by artist name and you can find individual works of art and, and how much a collector has, has made or lost on that particular painting when they bought it at public auction and then sold it at public auction. So we track that now in over 100,000 paintings. Um, we, use, we use other data sets as well, but basically our research team takes that data set and they reduce that into an artist list that our acquisitions team focuses on in any given year. So right now we're focused on 40 to 50 different artists, and then they go out and try to find examples by those 40 to 50 artists, and we, you know, we're buying roughly 2% of what we, what we see now. Um, so it's a really, it's a really, it's a really diligent process for, for buying a painting. Like nobody else is doing, no, nobody really is even using data in the art market to, to make yeah. decisions. To and, be and it's, and it, that's what I love. Like if I was going to invest in masterworks, that's kind of what perks my ears up is like, you're really a data company building a software platform that just happens to have art as the asset you're securitizing yeah. in some ways. Um, and I wonder like in the future, I'm thinking like one of my best friends, Kevin is like an amazing artist. He's just getting off the ground. And I'm curious, like, what about like the, the, okay, you're curating these certain listings, but what about like the DIY, like kind of IPO on your platform eventually? Is that something where like an artist, like, like longer term way down the road could like set up their own profile on Masterworks. They already have five or 10 homies buying their paintings, but we can just do it all through the Masterworks platform, so to speak. I'm curious if yeah. that kind of true, like, like long tail will ever occur. Yeah, there, there there are a few different um, different companies that are that are helping artists sell work. Um, fractionalizing it, at least in the U.S., is really hard just because of all the regulation that we have. Oh, so you need Art, like a, a million dollar painting? It's not worth it to do that. That that's basically exactly the number, right? So it's it's very difficult for us to bring paintings that are less than a million dollars to the platform just based on um, the cost of the regulatory overhead of securitizing these objects. Um, you know, having annual 
audits done, having appraisals done, you know, producing financials. It, it's it's not inexpensive. And it's almost like, well, what's the point of securitizing it if it's already only a 10 grand painting, like a, a million ones yeah. for securitizing because that's harder to buy. So I get that. So uh, yeah. kind of switching gears, one of my biggest like like problems, I guess, when I was thinking about this business and my favorite model is like the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity was like, okay, arts, like I'm only going to buy a piece of art if I can enjoy it in my house, right? And so yeah. if I'm buying this, it's almost like a different mentality just for the investment. And I'm like, okay, well, if I buy a stock, like I'm not really getting any perks. I'm just doing it for the return too. So it's like that. Um, but I'm like, okay, do we really want all this art stored in like some vault somewhere that no one's looking at because Masterworks has it? Or is this an opportunity where there's a flip side to monetize that art in some sort of like museum that pays you? Uh, and, and, or like you're, put, you're showcasing this in a gallery and then you get a cut of that revenue and then the, the, the security holders of that painting can get a dividend from the revenue that you're showing with this painting. Like I, I know this is all kind of out there stuff, but I see... Uh, a huge opportunity on the table for not just the financial return, but for you to get some sort of dividend or recurring cash flow income from these assets by showing them and letting people appreciate them. Yeah, it's a great question. So I, you know, personally, I have I have a top 100 art collection. I lend it out to major institutions all the time. Um, throughout the years, there's been numerous startups that have tried to get institutions to pay to borrow work. In today's world, it's not how they think. Like they, they're just unwilling to pay money to borrow work, they get it lent to them for free. Um, and dealing with institutions slash nonprofits is super challenging. <laughs> it's just, it's just hard. So we, I agree with you. Like that is, that is a really interesting strategy. And you would think that there would be good use cases for that. Like, you know, real estate developer that's building luxury condo building wants to rent paintings to help sell out the building. Like that, that makes total sense. Um, I think that's something that we're, we're interested in exploring down the road and we have, you know, 500 plus paintings um, and can kind of build a, uh, you know, a mini, a mini business around it. Um, today, today it's hard with COVID yeah. as well. And I heard you on the Jason Calacanis podcast, Jason mentioned like Disney World for Art set up by Masterworks and you're kind of like, eh, I don't know. But I was like, man, this is like, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that sounds so amazing and kind of like such an inspiring, cool idea where yeah. you could really like showcase these, these pieces of art. Um, so I don't know. I just love that concept. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, we, we saw before COVID, we saw a lot of um, kind of art experiential ticketed venues take off. Um, so ticket sales, I think, I think up until COVID have become more and more interesting. I, you know, it's anyone's guess where that goes over the next five years, but. Um, and I'm curious, like, what do you see on the flip side of, of companies like StockX and uh, I guess like eBay is kind of doing it too, Rally Road. Um, you know, it seems, it feels like it's not just art. It's like all of these assets. So I'm kind of curious of like, you're just kind of thoughts on the space. Is this just the internet democratizing all of these little industries? Like, I don't know. I think it's such a cool kind of opportunity as an investor where we don't just have stocks. We have like everything else that's kind of becoming securitized at once. Yeah. I mean, I would, yeah, I would say the internet combined with securities regulation changing or, or loosening is, has allowed um, a lot of the stuff to take off. And I think a lot of companies, including ourselves, started thinking about this more and more with blockchain, right? Um, yeah, that was we, one of my questions too. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So our initial idea behind Masterworks, and this is kind of a rabbit hole to go down, it was probably not productive, but was that this could be, all, all these paintings could be securitized and run off the blockchain. And there, there was a moment in time, like three and a half years ago, where big law firms, <laughs> not to be named, were advising clients that all of these things were not securities and they were, they were not subject to securities laws. Um, and you, you may know who I'm talking about, but, but, uh, you know, we, we were led to believe that this could be structured to where it wasn't a security. And if that was true, 
that could be super interesting, right? Because you could just basically productize, securitizing these paintings on the blockchain and be, be entirely unregulated. Um, what we found out quickly thereafter after starting the business was that, that that was not how the SEC was viewing it at all. So there, there, was, there was a lot of regulation. So I think, you know, I, I do believe in this world where theoretically every asset could be securitized and could be tradable in some way, shape or form. Um, I hope that, that that eventually moves more towards technology and less away from, from heavy regulation, um, just because I think that allows for more innovation. And I think, you know, the cost to securitize small assets, like we mentioned, that it's difficult for us to do paintings less than a million dollars um, is, is, is just so high. So I, I, I do think eventually we'll get there. Like I, I, I believe in a world where, you know, individual buildings are securitized, cars are securitized, wine is securitized, paintings are securitized, and there's some sort of way for investors to discover these assets and trade securities in them. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm curious if you could give us a little bit of uh, context on your first like sort of success, because I know you had, um, it's not that what I love about Massworks, like this really cool idea, but you've also started to have like real wins, um, where you had the, the Banksy Mona Lisa, I guess, which was sold like only in, within a year, but for a really good return. I'm curious if you could kind of fill us in uh, with that story. Sure. Yeah. That, so that, that painting was, uh, was one of our earlier paintings that we did. Uh, it, I think it was sold actually just over a year um, after owning it for 32% uh, annualized return to investors after fees. Um, so that was obviously, that was obviously a great win. We've had lots of paintings that have traded up as well in the secondary markets. Um, so investors can go and, you know, go to the website and go to the trading section and look at, look at those. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we've been very selective with paintings that we've been buying. So I think a lot of these offerings have been, have been really good. And, and, you know, we're starting to see the results pan out. Like the research that our research team is doing is kind of best in class. How our acquisitions team goes out and finds these paintings has been really great. So we're, you know, we're seeing it in the numbers. And how did you decide to cash out of one year versus the three to seven year time horizon? Is it like, well, we were expecting it to appreciate a 14% CAGR, but now we're one standard deviation over that CAGR. So we'll cash out yeah. if possible. It's a, it's a very hard question. So these are, are, are public entities, right? So we're subject to fiduciary obligations to, mm. to shareholders. And, you know, if we feel like an offer for a painting is above the fair market value, we, we really have an obligation to sell the painting. It's, it's pretty much that simple. And, and although we, we do continue to believe in Banksy's market and we do think that it's, that it's going up, um, we just feel that, you know, it, it would be very difficult for us to hold that painting for five years and produce a 32% net of fee return. You know, it's as simple as that. It's like, it's, it's, it's very, that return was so good at that point in time that I think if we hold that painting for much longer, the, the return just goes down and it's, you know, it's hard to justify why we didn't sell it. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm curious of the leading most expensive painting ever. This is something that's always fascinated me of like, yeah. uh, can you tell us like, which is the most, which holds the record now and like kind of how you see this bubbling up? Cause to me, that's the moment the billion dollar painting hits that'll be like this arrival for the art world in some ways. And I feel like we're just like a year or two away. So I'm kind of curious of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the, the most expensive painting is this, this uh, recently discovered um, Da Vinci titled Salvador Mundi, which sold for $450 million at Christie's a handful of years ago. Um, that, you know, that, that was a really interesting, really interesting example for the art world because Da Vinci is, is obviously a, a super rare artist. You know, I don't, I don't think there's really any or maybe only a few other Da Vinci's in private collections. Um, so this was kind of marketed as if you want to own a Da Vinci, this is your only, only chance. Um, 
So there's, you know, there's there, that, that clearly is, is a, uh, um, stands out from the crowd, but you know, there's lots of hundred million dollar paintings that sell every year. Like I think I want to say in 2019, there were four or five, six paintings that sold for over a hundred million dollars. Um, we're definitely seeing, you know, half dozen, dozen, hundred million dollar plus paintings every year now. Um, as you said, I do believe in the next 10 years, I don't know if it's the next year or two, but in the next 10 years, we will, we will see a billion dollar painting. Um, so, so yeah, so what's the kind of cocktail that makes these, that kind of pop, you know, is it the rareness? It's the artist has some folklore. It's like, I wonder how it sort of taps into being like the it painting of the moment. Well, so there, there's, yeah. So, so one obviously is demand, right? So artists that are important, you know, the most culturally significant artists, um, obviously have the most demand, but scarcity is a, is a big thing that drives prices in the art market and people don't totally appreciate that. So if you, if you have an artist that paints a bunch of paintings during his lifetime and he dies, um, those paintings at that point in time that exist are all, all that are left. So as collectors then pass away or as work gets donated to institutions, the supply shrinks of paintings that are available on the market. So the, the best example I like to use is, is Jackson Pollock, who um, you know, I know well, I've owned a couple of, of Pollock's paintings. Um, you know, I think there's something like 20, I'll get this number on it, 24 drip paintings in private collections. And a lot of us are familiar with those very iconic drip paintings that you see at like MoMA or other institutions. Um, and those are A examples, but there's really nothing left in private collections now, except for a couple that are A examples. Like everything that's left are B or C examples, but they're still selling for 30, $35 million because there's nothing else available. So the, the, the asset class is super unique in that it's continuously declining in supply. And most every wow. other asset class, real estate, gold, more gold is mined every single year. Companies, more companies are started every single year. Like almost every other asset class is- Bitcoin. Is continuously growing. <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> that's that, yeah. That's the only one I could think of that broke the rule. But, and, yeah. and you also mentioned like it's a bet on the 1%. As much as like we all hate the 0.01% or whatever, these ultra wealthy, like that is not going to stop. Like, you know, we're all 8 billion people. We're all connected. People that are creating companies are just going to get bigger, richer, faster. That's not going yeah. away. And so those are in fact, the demand for the art market is just, you have these extreme wealthy people bidding up these prices and they just want it. And they have an un like basically unlimited amount of money or whatever. And so it's weird that this is like a way for normal people to tie into that trend. And I'm kind of curious of what you think of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, right? So, so you're right. I do think the, the, the growth of the top 1% globally has had a big impact on art prices. Now, the U.S. is only 25% of the art market, interestingly. So 25% is the U.S., 25% uh, is China, 25% is Western Europe, and then 25% is the rest of the world. So it is a pretty distributed market, and it's a global market because I can buy a Picasso in the U.S. and I can fly it to wherever, Hong Kong, and sell it, right? Um, so these assets do move around the globe pretty, pretty frequently. Um, but you know, the, the other thing that's interesting about the art market is, you know, when people say, Oh, $450 million for Da Vinci is a lot of money. I don't know. Like, is it a lot of money? I think actually it's what's amazing about that is that one person bought that painting for $450 million, right? Like we have, we have bridges, we have buildings. There's lots of things that are $450 million, but they're always consortiums of investors. It's not just one guy who buys it for $450 million. So I think as, as the art market becomes securitized and there's more investment products to allow people to co-own these paintings, we actually do see values going up. Wow. And I, I keep getting distracted by this, like, like Iron Man 
head on acid sculpture you have back there and i'm like yeah, this so looks so dope i'm curious if you'll ever get into sculptures or can you tell us the story behind that yeah so th this is john chamberlain so he was he was one of the uh he's an abstract expressionist uh sculptor in the u.s kind of working in the 50s and the 60s that's one of his more important sculptures been at the guggenheim and lots lots of other uh places over time but um he was the first artist to really use found materials um these are like car parts uh, to create to create sculptures, so that's that's what. Do you ever? But, and so you're obviously into that. So do you ever think about expanding? To me, like sculptures would be such a cool expansion yeah. and other types of uh, you know art. Yeah, yeah. So we we definitely will. There's certain artists like Chamberlain really is only known for his sculpture. There's not not really anything else that he's he's known for. Um, so for artists who are just known for their sculpture, we we're definitely looking at those. You know, it's hard for us to do monumental things, right? Like it's hard for us to purchase paintings that are giant or sculpture that is giant. They're hard to store, they're hard to move. Um, but but generally, but yeah. We, to we, me, that's almost the value of, of Masterworks is that like, I have no idea how to store a Da Vinci. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's like the half, like I've always thought a Tesla, original Tesla Roadster is like an unbelievable purchase. A thousand made piece of history. You get one in good condition. This can be a million dollar car. It's still selling in the used dip for 65K. I'm like, man, this is, but how do I store that thing? That's the only reason yeah. I haven't done it. It's like, I can't figure out how to store it. And that's like sculptures would be that too. But to me, that's the, your masterworks is not only removing that big price barrier, but that storage friction barrier and the, and the worry of, you know, somebody's going to steal my art. Like, so I, I feel like how much of that is the value proposition to your customers? Cause me, I'm like, that's to me, that's everything almost is, is the security. Yeah. I mean, look, our, our investors today, they, they're really just looking for returns that beat public equities and something that diversifies their portfolio. Um, I mean, I would love to say it's more complicated than that, but it's, but it's like you're really, definitely protecting the art in some way, right? Like you're, yeah, we, so we have uh, all the art today, either we have, we have a gallery in Soho where we, we display paintings kind of, um, host VIP investors. And then we have a lot of art in storage in Delaware. And then we're starting to, to lend our more to, to institutions over time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, I think the estimates are something like 60% of high end art that's purchased is actually kept in storage. Wow. Yeah. That's what kind of makes me yeah. sad of like, is all this art just not going to be viewed by people? Like we would need it to share. And that to me, one of the, is such an exciting thing about masterworks is like, I go to like my cities, like, I don't know, New York city's behind you. It's like all the new architecture sucks. Everything's concrete. Our cities are just filled <laughs> with roads. Like they're hideous. Like I go to, I'm from Rome and like, I go back to Rome and I'm like, Oh my God, like that, you know, we, we laugh at their technology, but they lived in a so much more beautiful place than us. And so yeah. I really feel like art, I, I love what Patreon's doing by getting artists paid. And that's why I love what you're yeah, doing. Eventually helping yeah. these artists get paid really. Cause I feel like, yeah. artists, you know, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, we definitely want to take the paintings that we have in storage and loan them out to institutions on a routine basis. Um, it, it's it's part of the program. We're, we're just growing so fast right now. We 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 don't have the bandwidth to do it, but um, I agree with you. Like, I, I think it's really cool that you can think of a world where, you know, someone is selling a painting. Like you you may have read in the paper about the. There's a lot of museums right now deaccessioning works. The Brooklyn Museum here is one of them uh, because of COVID because the, they they haven't had ticket revenue coming in. Um, it would be really cool rather than those paintings going into private collections if we can have shareholders buy them and then lend them out over time so they can they can continue to stay stay in the public. 
Yeah. And I also, this is just kind of an off the wall idea is like a Snapchat filter with the Banksy Mona Lisa or a VR yeah. room where I can go appreciate art. Like, could we digitize these works and allow the shareholders private access into this gallery of their arts? You know, I feel like yeah, with, yeah. with technology, there's kind of ways to merge the physical and digital world and get like, like I'm such a believer in like more juice out of these assets, like the $450 million Da Vinci underpriced probably like I'm in that <laughs> camp. You know what I mean? Like there's not, Da Vinci's not coming back. Like, you right. know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, it, it's so exciting. And I think what I, what I really love about your business is like, even though it's a million dollar painting now is kind of your limit. It's, it's that slow open up. Like that's what, with hyperwatt, what I'm doing with my VC syndicate, I feel horrible because it's like, I'm barely moving the needle, but I'm moving it. And so that's yeah. why I'm so excited to see how masterworks kind of evolves and continues to like democratize this space. Yeah. I mean, look, it's amazing. We, we always wonder why are we the first ones doing this? doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, I don't know why we're the first ones doing it, but you, you know, you do have this asset class that's been around for hundreds of years, has appreciated for hundreds of years. And for some reason, nobody's ever securitized it. It's weird. And now we got Masterworks. Perfect place <laughs> to wrap it up. I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm just so excited about this business. Um, could you, maybe before you sign off, could you tell us any like upcoming awesome paintings or any new uh, announcements from the company we should be looking out for? Yeah. I mean, look, we're, you know, we're doing one, one painting every, every week or so it's, you know, most of the paintings are blue chip artists like Warhol, Basquiat, um, Picasso, Monet. We also have mid career, late career artists like Alex Katz, like Cecily Brown, like Gunter Ford. Um, uh, you know, we've got some, some new artists coming up that we haven't launched yet, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the business is, is moving along rapidly. So if you're, you know, if you're interested in getting involved and seeing the offerings, just go to, www.masterworks.io um, schedule a call request access schedule a call with our um, our membership team and someone will hop on the phone and, and onboard you awesome actually i have okay i have one more i lied second to last question nike sb paris have you heard of this sneaker it's like a twenty thousand no. dollar sneaker they only no. made 200 <laughs> pairs of and each pair is like a unique painting on it and I always wanted to like buy up as many of us as I could and like corner the market. But I'm curious, that just got me thinking of like, where does the line cross of will Masterworks ever get into like sneakers and products? Because that's where I feel like you're, we're close, like you're different, but it's the worlds are merging. Yeah. I mean, my experience over the, over the past 20 years has really been in the art market, right? So that's, that's the market that I've been really active in that I know really well. Uh, you know, but sneakers are art. That's kind of my thing. <laughs> or do you not believe that? Uh, no, I, I, I think there are, and I, I just, I don't know anything about that market, right? Like, uh, so I, I mean, I, we really view ourselves at, we do view ourselves as an investment platform, but we also view ourselves as an asset manager, right? Like at the end of the day, the, the things that we bring to the platform, we really think it's important for people to make money on. So, you know, in terms of wine, cars, sneakers, et cetera, those, those are things that others are doing, but, but just they're, they're not our core competency. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time, Scott. I cannot wait to just watch uh, Masterworks Evolve and follow the story. <laughs> Thanks for having me.